Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. We are in episode 31 of our study, Life-Changing Connection, and we're looking at the exciting potential and possibility of what God is doing at Christ Lutheran Vale Church. And um, and the reason why this is just so exciting for me is because we have such incredible, there have been so many faithful people doing so many faithful things over the last you know, 2003, so over the last 19 years, when this congregation was just a dream on the back patio of a family, you know, of a church family. And they they were willing and many, many people were willing to give up their time, their talent, their passion, their treasure to create this thing called Christ with Veil. And over the last 19 years, there has been such an incredible journey of so many people to uh, purchase land and build systems and, and build facilities and work in our community to, to love our community and just so much good over the last 19 years to where now we are a church with uh, a mission and a vision and great ability to do that, great people, great facilities, great community, and and still a growing community. I don't know if you know this, but but Vale, for a long time, for the last 20 years, has mostly been a part of the Rancho Del Lago subdivision. It's a, it's a planned area development that had uh, 3,500 homes or something like that. Uh, so over the last 20 years, it went from zero homes to 3,500 homes. And so we went from a population of about a thousand, and I wasn't here back then, to a population now of maybe twelve to 15,000 people, which is huge. And there's another subdivision going in just the same size of Del Lago, if not bigger, on the on the north side of Del Lago, south of Camino Loma, uh, south of Old Spanish Trail. So we're going to double in size over the next 20 years. And then if you jump over Old Spanish Trail, there's a whole nother development that's going to happen at some point there, a Don Diamond development. So it, it, God has definitely positioned us uh, in, in amazing, amazing ways. And the, the, I mean, you, one should not, I mean, there's, there's two ways to look at church growth. The one way to look at church growth is to say, well, our community is growing and developing and adding homes and adding people, so our church should grow naturally because of that. But there's also the potential of people who come into our community who have not met Jesus yet. And so there's a huge potential there. A lot of people who move into Vail already are connected to church homes because they already live in the Tucson area and they come in here. But some of them are not connected to a church home because they've moved in from out of state, uh, whether or not one of the large employers in town brought them in or whatever. And so the opportunity, the, it's just huge opportunity. If the church did its job well, and I'm not saying our church particularly, but just the Christian church in our community, 
there is there is room for so much growth in the kingdom, incredible growth in the kingdom. And as we've been talking about all week, is that this is this requires leadership. There's there's two ways to look at leadership. One is the, I guess, professionalized, well trained. Uh, the, the way a lot of churches, you know, as, as they continue to grow, they put all the leadership decisions in, uh, you know, staff and that sort of thing, which is something that the mainline Protestant churches have not necessarily uh, fallen in line with because there is this deep sense of growth that happens in a person when they're given leadership opportunities in a congregation. And so my hope and desire is that whatever we do as a congregation that it that it is um it is organic it is uh, the lot of the leadership rests in our people in our congregation as opposed to professional staff um that that is that is my my uh well it's actually our calling when we first started the church that was one of our you know pillars was that we empower leadership within our church. It doesn't really show up um, in any of the stuff we have right now, but that was one of our original pillars that, you know, leadership is so important. Empowering people for leadership is so important. And, um, you know, it's slower because you have to develop leaders. You have to grow leaders. You have to encourage leadership. Um, And many, many churches aren't willing to grow slow because they want because they have to grow fast. There are a lot of churches, you know, sometimes people will plant a church and build. A friend of mine in Phoenix, his congregation built a $15 million facility of which, <laughs> you know, nearly killed them, gave my friend a heart attack. Um, they, they, you just, um, unfortunately, uh, when you grow that quickly and you build such a large facility, you have to basically uh, hire a lot of professional staff to get the thing up and running so that it's, you know, so that it can pay for itself. But other churches just grow um, slowly over time, build, you know, figure out the systems. And, de- and and the main thing is just really empowering leadership. I mean, that is really the trying to find, uh, encourage and grow leadership from within a congregation. The downside to that, of course, is that Many, many, many people in our community, in the Vail community, because they move here with their job and then they move out with their job, uh, we, we have what I would call a very, very transient community here in Vail. And that's um, that presents its own set of challenges. My father still attends the church that I uh, became a Christian at in Phoenix. And that was, uh, let's see, and I was uh, I was probably... 12 years old at the time, and I'm now, uh, so, I mean, that was 50 years ago. <laughs> it was almost 50 years ago when, uh, and and my father still is at that church, right? But, but, um, but there are a lot of, nobody in our community has been at our church 50 years because we've only been around 20. So, but, but I mean, there, but there's still people who've been around 20 years, but there's a lot of people who have come in and out. As a matter of fact, I just saw somebody this weekend who uh, was blessed us for a time and then they left because the job took them to somewhere else. When we, and our world is a more transient world than it ever has been. Uh, and so 
we do find people coming in and out of communities and in and out of churches a lot more frequently now than we ever did. As a matter of fact, the the generation after me, like my children's generation, they have no problem moving around five, six, seven times because they get to experience new places and that sort of thing. And they can stay connected with their core group of friends through telephone, internet, you know, all the all the tools that we have available to us, they can still stay connected with their core group of friends, even no matter where they live. Uh, and so that's exciting too, which means that we can stay connected with people even after, you know, before they come into the Vail area and after they leave in the Vail area. If we, if we position ourselves or do the things that allow people to connect with us, that, that the only connection isn't Sunday morning, but there's a connection outside of Sunday morning that, well, even this, this Bible study that we're doing right now, that that, that is a way for people, like if, if somebody wanted to continue listening to this, but they ended up leaving the Vale area, they could still continue listening to this Bible study. And so that's that presents itself with incredible opportunity. So um, I wanted to I want to take a look at the idea of uh, I want to continue this discussion about leadership. And to do that, I'd like to go to um, I'd like to go to Acts chapter 16. This is a discussion about Paul's ability to grow leadership within the church. And we're just, I'll just read this. This is Acts 16, verses 1 through 2. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So Paul ends up going to Derby and then to Lystra. And while he's there, he hears about a disciple about a young man, a very young man named Timothy, uh, who uh, by all appearances just seems to really connect with Jesus on a very, very real and deep level. And everybody says, you know, this guy, Timothy, he's awesome. And so um, Paul hears and takes notice of him. And this is, I think, what leaders do. Leaders are people who go through the group that they're leading or the mission that they're leading and they and they and God brings to them people who are I guess primed or ready for for uh, undertaking a more significant role in the church and so you as leadership in the church if you are a leader in the church should always be on constant lookout to just say, okay, who's out there and what gifts do they have? And when you find somebody that's like, man, I wish this person could could delve deeper into a leadership role in the church, then that's an, a huge and perfect opportunity then to figure out, is there a way to get that person to a leadership position? Uh, and so Paul does. Paul, Paul hears about this. And then what happens in verse 3? Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Paul was on his second missionary journey at this point. And Paul wanted to take this guy, Timothy, on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Now, what is this? They, they In Acts 15, Paul had gone to Jerusalem and said, I feel like I need to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And they debate it and they say yes to Paul. You go take 
the message of Jesus to the Gentiles. And they commission him, lay hands on him, send him out the door. And now Paul's on this journey. And he gets to this plane, Lydia and Durst, uh, where he is, <laughs> Derby and Lystra. And he meets Timothy. And now he says, all right, I'm going to take, I've recognized that there's something in Timothy that God can use for this missionary journey. And so he wants to take him. And Timothy's like, all right, fine. <laughs> Until he finds out <laughs> that his father's a Greek and Paul has to circumcise him. And I'm not even going to go there because that, that I can't even possibly imagine that. Because uh, Timothy's probably, well, he's obviously a disciple. So he's probably, I don't know, 20, 25. I have no idea how t- old Timothy is. But uh, there's just some things that are not comfortable for a 20 or 25-year-old. This is one of them. And so, but Paul, Paul convinces Timothy. Timothy says, yes, I am so on fire for Jesus and his mission and his church that I'm willing to do this. And so Paul basically equips Timothy uh, he says, all right, we're going to get you set up. And he, he circumcises Timothy. And then they go from town to town to teach uh, people. And they, ha- they must have had a great, uh, and the church knows this. I mean, the, church, the, the, the relationship between Paul and Timothy as a mentor and a mentee is just absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. And uh, can you imagine? So there are people that you would like to be, you know, to to work with and learn from, like the apostles, like what what was Jesus like and all that sort of thing. And so being at the feet of the apostles and just traveling around with them must have been absolutely amazing. But now we have Timothy who's walking along in the footsteps of Paul and learning from Paul what it is to be a missionary for Jesus Christ. And of course, Paul is the greatest missionary of all, well, I shouldn't say the greatest missionary of all time. He is one of the best missionaries that's depicted in the New Testament. Let's put it that way. And we have his story about his missionary journey. So that's why, you know, he's so elevated and celebrated. But there have been other people who've been great missionaries too. So I don't know if Paul's the greatest missionary of all time. That's probably not true. But Paul's a very good missionary. And he's a very good example. And one of the things he does is he identifies someone who has potential and then he kind of equips them, he puts them right, and then he walks alongside them and they do the work of the church. And Paul and Timothy have this incredible relationship. I, um, I have, I, um, in my own faith journey, I came to faith in seventh grade, right before seventh grade. And I had been an, owl, an odd duck in grade school because all my friends, I mean, I loved playing Foursquare and, you know, some of the non-competitive sports outside, but when it got to sports competition, it just didn't really resonate with me. And I don't know why it never really has. I mean, I do enjoy watching a good sports competition, but like being in my own competitive sports journey, I don't know if it's because I was just this little wimpy kid and I knew I would never win or it just, it just just never... For whatever reason, that never, never really resonated with me. But the one thing that always did resonate with me was music. My father's extremely talented musician, played piano, guitar, sang. And so I was able to pick up a lot of those things when I was a young kid. And my father and mother, bless them so much, uh, there was one of the teachers that had told them that I had gifts in the musical area and that I should consider 
you know, pursuing that instead of sports teams or whatever, maybe, maybe I could join a music group. And so I did, they, they put me in, allowed me to join a group called the Phoenix Boys Choir, which was, you know, still is one of the premier boys choirs in the world, traveled all over the world. Um, and, and so very young age, I, I joined the Phoenix Boys Choir. And by the time I got to, um, I came to faith, I uh, I had already been in the boys' choir for a very, very long time, and I was very skilled at singing. And when I came to faith, we, we joined a church in Phoenix called Christ Church Lutheran because that's, I came to faith because of their Lutheran school. And then we started going to church at that church. And, and the gentleman who was in my school and also at the church was the organist, and he knew, uh, you know, he was always looking for talent to cultivate talent because um, he's a good leader also. Uh, so this organist who my mother absolutely loved because he was very strict. <laughs> I mean, very strict guy, <laughs> which my mother just, she loved very strict people. And so he recognized talent. And he, uh, he asked me to sing a solo where he would play accompaniment and I would sing in church. And so I did. That was probably uh, seventh grade, maybe, you know, I don't know. But it, I just, I felt so, it's like the first time I could use my gifts and my talents for something sacred and had never done that before. And it just was, I don't know, it, it transformed my life. I, I continued to grow and develop all sorts of ways, you know, my leadership in the church. And, and it's all started because of this... <clears throat> Paul Tepker, organist, he's still around, uh, ran into him a couple years ago, and we laughed because uh, I was not, because <laughs> while I could sing, <laughs> I wasn't necessarily the greatest kid. <laughs> I, was, I was devious and mischievous. Um, anyway, so, um, and I, I, so that was my, I would not have been in the church and doing the things that Christ, even doing this podcast today, if somebody had not recognized me and said, hey, I think there's potential here, just this one little area. There's not a whole lot of areas, but there's one little area, there's potential, and allowed me to use my gifts in service of the church. And it was just absolutely wonderful. And of course, that grew to a whole lot of different areas, um, mostly musical that I was able to use my gifts as a vocalist, as a choir director, as a instrumentalist, as a band director. I mean, just little things that uh, I was able to uh, continue to grow in my leadership because of uh, because somebody recognized a little bit of potential in little old David Hook in seventh grade. That uh, very very meaningful, very very meaningful. Which means that as we, as leaders in the church, if we see somebody that isn't connected yet to something in the church, that we should do everything we can to try to find out what their gifts are, what their calling is, what abilities they have. And even if, um, you know, even if it's redundant, just getting people activated in ministry, it is. I can't tell you how many times somebody uh, has been brought to me as a potential, because I'm horrible at noticing these things, but other people tell me, it's like, hey, you should look at that person. So, okay, we have a conversation and they end up getting involved in, in church in some level. 
And I can't tell you how many times they they say that that ability to get involved in a church has just transformed their life, transformed all things about them. There's just something about working for a common cause in the church. No matter what you're doing, you know that no matter how you're serving in a church, at some level, your service is helping do the mission and the work of the of the church, which is to make Jesus alive to people, to make life-changing connections to Christ that, that we, you know, continue to grow people in their discipleship towards Jesus. All that stuff is so phenomenal. Um, so Paul recognized Timothy, took him on a journey. But then um, Paul is preaching the word at Berea and something happens. So we'll look at that. This is first, uh, this is Acts 17, 13 through 15. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. And the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. And those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So at some point, even though they had this mentoring relationship, it had to end. You can't continue growing if you're always under the, uh, you know, the day-to-day growth of, of your mentor. At some point, you have to step out. Jesus recognized this. He sent out his disciples two by two. He did not go with them. He said, I want you to go from town to town to village to village. I want you to pray for people. I want you to heal people. I want you to be my emissary in these communities for people. And so they went out and they did that. They separated themselves from Christ and they learned and grew from that. And all of a sudden there's agitation here while Paul is preaching in Berea and so, because these Jews from Thessalonica were very upset with Paul. Paul realized this could be dangerous for Timothy, but it's also an opportunity for Timothy to kind of continue to grow and develop his own leadership chops. And so Paul separates from Timothy. And it must have been a horribly difficult thing. I mean, here they, I don't know how long they were together. Could have been a year, could have been three years. I don't know. Could have been five years. But for them to separate, it doesn't really say how difficult this was, but but they did separate. And Paul and Timothy ended up, you know, going their separate ways, part for safety, but probably also part of it is just so that Timothy could continue to grow in his leadership chops, which he did. Because he continued to go and continue to preach the gospel. And somehow, even in that 2,000 years ago, there were ways for people to communicate back and forth. And so people, Paul would, you know, it's, he'd hear from somebody who I was just in, uh, you know, I was just in, uh, I was just in Berea. And, uh, and Paul would ask, oh, do you, do you know about Timothy? Uh, how's Timothy doing? And they'd say, well, Timothy's doing great or Timothy's got this issue. And then Paul might Say, okay, I got to get this message back to Timothy. And he might tell somebody who's heading that to that direction, you've got to go tell Timothy this, or he might write a letter and send it to Timothy. Um, but I mean, even 2,000 years ago, there were ways to connect people. <clears throat> um, and Paul, even though Paul and Timothy were separated, Paul was still able to help mentor and lead and teach Timothy. Um, so uh, in First Timothy, in First Thessalonians 3, 1 through 3, Listen to this, the beginning of verse one. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, 
who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. So Paul is writing this letter to Thessaloniki, uh, the church in Thessaloniki, and he's explaining to them that even though he is not there, Timothy is his representative, or Timothy is the leader. He's helping. So even after they separate, Paul uses his ability as a leader in the church to help lift up and elevate Timothy in his leadership abilities. And his te- so, so he found Timothy and he mentored Timothy, and now Timothy's out on his own. And Paul is still, at this point, helping to grow Timothy and to establish Timothy as a leader in the churches where he's going. Paul never really left Timothy until he died. Uh, He was always encouraging Timothy, blessing Timothy, being with Timothy. Acts 18, uh, this is beginning of verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were there, he stayed and worked with them, and every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. And then, finally, Timothy and Silas came from Macedonia. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So you even get this picture that Paul still is making an example of himself to, to Timothy and Silas, that this is how you should live your life. So they came back together again, even after they had separated. But Paul now kind of expects Timothy to be a leader in the church, but Paul's still giving an example to lead it to Timothy. Um, And then, of course, we have the pastoral letters of Paul to Timothy. And we'll just read the first one, uh, this this, introduction to it. And this is Paul. This is 1 Timothy 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul considers Timothy a true son in the faith. And then in verse 18, a little bit later, he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. So, and then, of course, the letters go on. But Paul continues to empower Timothy, to encourage Timothy uh, until the day he died. And that's uh, what a great, what a great blessing for Timothy to have been at the feet of Paul and to have had that relationship, and then to have gone off and done all the work that God had called him to do because somebody had just come into his life and recognized there's potential here. And I will tell you something. There's potential in everybody. There is potential in everybody. Anybody that comes to our church, walks through the door, has the potential to do anything in the church of God. The, the thing is, is, is making that conversation, that connection of finding out where the gifting is, what they can do, and then encouraging them. And this world is changing. We've always assumed that that giftedness that, you know, is on Sunday morning, because most churches 
you know, only meet on Sunday morning. They really have a lot of midweek activities. We have been blessed that we have a lot of stuff going on almost every day at our church. And so even if you are, because of your work, you cannot be involved on a Sunday morning, doesn't mean we can't find something uh, that you're gifted at and empowered and, and grow and find ways for people to get connected in ministry. It is so important for their own growth in the church of God when we as leaders can help find ways for people to get connected to ministry. And it doesn't have to necessarily be on Sunday morning. It doesn't even have to be, they don't even have to leave their home. There are things in the internet age that people can do. They come home from work, you know, spend time with the kids. And then instead of turning on you know, the TV and watching whatever's on TV, maybe there's a way that they could not do that and spend 30 minutes or 45 minutes or something doing something, some giftedness of, of the congregation. And um, the the thing is, is that I know the potential's there. And it can't all be just one person identifying, equipping, training, mentoring, and all that sort of thing. It requires at some level a whole bunch of people and that whole bunch of people are the existing leadership in our church that um, they can do this, and for which I'm very, very grateful. So I think we'll leave it there. Um, let's, let's just close in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for this beautiful day and the rain and the life it brings and the smells it brings out in the desert. Thank you for this time together where we learned this incredible mentoring relationship between Paul and Timothy. Help us, Lord to continue to seek out workers for your kingdom, for the, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.